Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best runners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials. And as you know, that time has passed. We are now knee-deep into our recaps of the Olympic Trials with the people that we've been following all year long. And in this episode, we talked to Roberta Groner. Unfortunately for Roberta, the trials did not go as she had planned. Now, she had a remarkable 2019, which led into 2020. And in this race, she stayed with the lead group, as you'll hear in this episode, for about 11 to 12 miles before things kind of went south for her. But as is basically the typical episode with Roberta. She is such a positive person, so enlightening and so wonderful to talk to as well, that even though the race didn't go as she had hoped, I was excited to talk to her about it in just about this entire journey. So without further ado, here is our episode with Roberta Groner. Hello, Roberta, and welcome to our the culmination episode. Of, uh, of this series. Thank, first of all, thanks again for doing this and thanks for coming on so quickly after the Olympic trials. Yes, thanks for having me, Matt. Um, it's a pleasure. Oh, the pleasure is all mine and I'm excited to chat with you. So we had a preview episode of sorts a couple weeks out from Atlanta. And uh, I know that you had, you know, you were, you were feeling good at that point. You were happy with how you'd been progressing. Um, you know, we kind of talked about what kind of fitness you were in and so on and so forth. As the race got closer and, you know, race day was right around the corner, how did you feel then? Yeah, no, I felt great, actually. I mean, like it, when we talked last, the beginning of February, I believe, um, everything was clicking. Um, my last few workouts, I was hitting pace. My legs were feeling great, felt fresh. I felt, you know, I mean, it felt at that point like I was in the best shape, you know, so far of the training cycle. Because as we spoke earlier, um, December, January wasn't the best for me, you know, in the sense of just training and myself mentally, I don't know if it was physically and mentally together, but it was a little bit of a struggle. So definitely was the best I felt this 12 weeks training cycle. That's great. And then one of the things that we talked about in that episode was, you know, you're, you and your coach looking at the course and, you know, trying to come up with strategies and things like that. What, what did you, you, what did you do in the, the preceding weeks to kind of make sure that you were as prepared as possible for Atlanta? Yeah, so I mean, pretty much worked on marathon pace effort and worked on relatively hillier courses. So I went to Central Park a few times and, you know, ran around Central Park, got a good bunch of elevation. So it was more effort based on hilly courses, um, at least for a few weeks, um, you know, towards the end of the training cycle. And I was trying to get, I think I was doing about like 5,000 feet, over 5,000 feet elevation week, you know, for me, which, you know, just to try to get the, you know, the, the comfortableness of, well, as comfortable as you can be climbing that much in a week on tired legs. So Now, were you able to mimic the kind of elevation they had in Atlanta? I think Central Park was pretty close, relatively. I did the, like, the full six-mile loop. I think I was getting about 1,300 feet elevation for 20 miles, roughly. So, it's similar. Not exactly the same, but, you know, I thought it was the closest I could find, at least in my area. Yeah, I've done that loop before. And and when you were when you were talking about it, I was wondering if the like the pitch of the hills were similar or if it was just like the, the elevation total because on TV, you know, I wasn't in Atlanta, but on TV it looked like some of those, especially some of those declines, you could even see like the drastic uh slope as opposed to maybe sometimes you can get that elevation gain, it just kind of comes a little bit more gently. Yeah, I mean, I guess I think they're different. Um 
but it was just the most comparable I could get at the time. So I was hoping it would help a little bit, at least, you know, <laughs> was getting used to, used to going chop, getting choppy rhythms and, you know, uh, comfortable going, you know, faster on downs and, you know, just like I said, marathon pace effort itself. So. Right. Yeah. And obviously when you have the constant up and down, there's a big difference between marathon effort and marathon pace, you know, either positive or negative. Yeah. Honestly, for the race, I didn't even look at my watch. I mean, not, I didn't, I didn't think a split the whole time I was on the course. Um, I mean, I, I looked at it a few times, but you know, you know, between GPS and everything else, you know, I wasn't really sure, you know, what we were doing. So interesting to look at what, at least what Strava told me afterwards, but I don't know how true it was. <laughs> right. And then even just tracking, you know, while, you know, so I kind of had two screens going on, I was watching on TV and then like so many other people, I also had my phone out, you know, using the trackers and things like that. And it was kind yeah. of cool that they had the tracker for every mile that you were running. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, good. So when you got down to Atlanta, what was your, you know, the day or two uh, like for you in terms of not only logistics, making sure you had everything you needed, but just in terms of how you like to prepare, whether that's, you know, again, you know, trying to be <laughs> quiet or maybe more active or whatever. Yeah, so a little different this time. I guess the last few big races for myself, I went to, you know, Rotterdam, had very little family or friends there. And then obviously Worlds, same thing. And um, New York, I had some friends in, but I'm definitely more on the quiet side. So, you know, we, I went down with my boys. We left on Thursday morning. Uh, my parents came in Thursday, a couple hours after us, and they took my kid. you know, my kids stayed with them the three nights. But, um, you know, having them, in, you know, was great to have everybody there, but it's a little bit different than what I'm used to. But I would say just busy with between, you know, you know, getting uniform checked, shoes checked, going out for runs. Um, I felt like I didn't really get any quiet time per se the two days leading up. I think the most quiet time I got was maybe 45 minutes on Friday, <laughs> like from like three to four for the meeting. Um, so a little bit different than what I've been used to, but I also wanted to enjoy the moment. You know, you see everybody, you know, it's, it's a celebration and you see all your friends that you haven't seen for a while. Um, reconnect with other people so you know it was an exciting time but a little bit different than what i'm used to and you know your boys are at an age where they're going to remember this weekend you know for the rest of their lives maybe not every single detail but this is going to be you know ingrained in their memory and i'm sure like you're obviously conscious of that yes very much so i mean like i said they were with me i mean they you know we were in the tracksmith suite hospitality suite making signs and uh I wanted them to be involved with as much as they could be or wanted to be with the race. Um, and I mean, obviously, you know, as we'll talk, the outcome wasn't exactly what I envisioned, but you know, I still think it's a great, um, something for them to remember the rest of their lives and, you know, and wow, like just being in Atlanta for, you know, our sports best day in four years, you know? So it was very exciting. Yeah, and maybe best day for a lot longer than that as well. All things considering, I mean, just 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 the excitement around it was uh, was it was inspiring to witness. So let's just talk about the day of the race then. So you know, in terms of like you know your rest and then preparing, you know, to to get out to the starting line and being there for a little bit later than maybe some other races like to begin. Just what was that process like for you, and how ready did you feel like once it was time to get going? Yeah, no. So, I mean, I, I relatively sleep really well the night before race, kind of bizarre, but <laughs> I sleep well. Um, I got, got like eight, nine hours of sleep up at like eight o'clock in the morning, had breakfast, breakfast with my boyfriend. We, we actually sat over like the bridge, like, you know, watches the finish line area, just saw people very relaxing. Um, got ready, um, had some friends in the room, like I said, a little bit different than what I'm used to, but you know, very relaxing still. And, uh, 
got ready. I think I went down around, I saw, I met my family, you know, um, in the lobby around 11 a.m. And so about 11.15, I went over to the tent with some teammates from New York Athletic Club and, you know, some local New Jersey girls too were around. So um, just relaxed for a few minutes, you know, and did the whole, you know, normal bathroom breaks and getting ready. I, you know, I think my only, I wouldn't say mistake, but what I, because it was kind of chilly out with the wind. I decided to keep my leg, my pants on. And then as soon as the gun went off for the guys, I decided to take my pants off, but I had to take my shoes off to get my pants off. And I think all the women just started to kind of rush to the front. And it made me, I wouldn't say nervous, but like, you know, kind of distracted me a little bit. So I tied my shoes um, and they never came untied, but my right shoe was loose the whole race. So that was another distractor, but it was minimal. But you know, just like I think I was excited, nervous, and like getting that whole environment, and I was tying my shoes. It was a rookie. It was like a rookie mistake. Like, what was I doing tying my shoes ten minutes before the race? But you know, Roberta, <laughs> I'm like dying laughing over here because that's like the classic like amateur move. Like, oh my gosh, I'm, I know. I'm my first 10k. What am I gonna do and all this? Stuff? I know. Oh my goodness. Yes, it was me. I was like, oh, I want to stay warm as long as I can. And like I said, it never came untied, but I mean, from like the first, I don't know, less than like a 10th of a mile, I was like, my, I looked down at my shoe when the race started thinking, like after we started running, thinking my shoe's going to come untied. And what do I do? Do I pull aside? Do I, you know what I mean? Like, it was like, when it comes untied, what will I do? Uh, but we didn't get that far. It never came untied, but definitely very loose the whole, the whole 16, <laughs> 15 miles I ran. Oh my gosh. So. That's I expected like, yo, you never know what's going to come up in these conversations. I honestly didn't expect the, I didn't tie my shoes correctly move. Oh, believe me. It's uh, on top of everything else. Believe me. I was like, what? And then I, I, and we can probably get into it later, but this is where the speculation of injury and foot pain and um, yeah, so no, but no, I have no pain. I got not injured or anything, but it was just, yes, a, a rookie move completely. <laughs> All right. So Last time we spoke, you kind of conjectured about what could potentially be strategy come race day. Uh, once we actually, you know, once race day was upon you and you were ready to roll, uh, what was the strategy that you and Steve had had cooked up and what kind of iterations of that were there? Like if, if this happens or if that happens and things along those lines. Honestly, we, we talked, me and Steve talked for a few minutes and I was kind of point blank with, you know, you couldn't really have his pace strategy because we knew there was no pacing to this race like you know saying like for a typical marathon i go out 545 and see what it happens we kind of knew that was out the window i it was my i'm not saying my one and only chance but i told him that i just wanted to see like wh however it went i was going with the lead group for as long you know i was hoping to stay with the lead group but i mean it was kind of like um stick with the lead group and go and see what happens you know so that was kind of what i wanted and and he told me, you know, that he felt that my race strategy, I'm always pretty good instinctively. I'm not saying I was this day, but, <laughs> you know, I just felt like it was, it was kind of like, I want to say do or die, but, you know, why not dance with the big, with everybody, you know, see what it's like. And, uh, you know, didn't work out. <laughs> well, when you, when you think about, okay, I'm, I'm going to stay with the big group, obviously the. The question then becomes, well, what if there's some sort of, you know, breakaway, you know, one or two people like we saw this in the men's race. I don't know if you had a chance to to look at it after the fact or uh, things like that. But, you know, we had you know, a breakaway, you know, right from the start with you know a couple of different runners and then the main pack kind of holds back. So for you, was there a certain individuals that you like to key off of in a race like that? 
Oh, I mean, I probably would have stayed. I mean, if there was a few breakaway, I would. I like, yeah, like Desi, um, and like Kellen, uh, I would have probably like looked to their lead. You know what I mean? They tend to like be very smart, I believe. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't have taken off if there was one or two. Probably I would have stayed with the big group. But I, I wanted to, like I said, I that was my thought process. You know, and looking back, you can always look back back retrospectively and say that's not my race style. Why did I go out and do it that way? But um, this was just something that I felt in my heart that I had to do at the time. So how would you describe the, the, the race pace and race effort for the first 10 miles? You know, I felt great. I felt fine. I don't, I, and then, and then when we kind of hit the 10 to 11 mile mark, I, I don't know, just kind of started to all fall apart for me. Um, I wasn't ingesting my goo. I've only taken like one or two goos. I think it was about between 10 and mile 14 or I'll say 11 to 14 is where I really started to struggle. Legs just were feeling dead and I wasn't able to get any liquids in. Um, but before that, the first 10 miles, I felt comfortable at the pace. Like I said, I never really looked at my watch. I felt good. And then it just kind of hit me like, like suddenly. Now, when you're in these major races or, you know, races like hey, it's major races is works. How often at mile 10 do you feel pretty much the same way you felt in that race in terms of like effort level fatigue and, and just, uh, you know, soreness in the legs and things along those lines? Never. This is the first time for a marathon. I mean, that I can recall at least in the last like three to four years. Um, I mean, I think at New York City. This year, I kind of took a risk there, too, you know, and because uh, I didn't have much to lose. It was five weeks after Worlds, um, and I felt great. I remember through about 16, and then, like, 16 to 20 was a little rough for me, and then I was able to recover. Um, but I've never felt this way at mile 10 in a marathon. But, again, you know, maybe it was just too aggressive for me, you know, for this day. So so can you can you run us through what you started to feel? Uh, and then what, you know, kind of what, like the, not only what you were feeling in the symptoms, but like the level of the symptoms. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it was primarily legs were just not moving. Um, and I, and the, and the group started to go away and my goal was to place, you know, I mean, I know it was a very, very minute chance, but I wanted to compete. And when I saw it go away, I think it didn't make the symptoms or what I felt worse, who knows? Cause you know, the mental and the physical at some point kind of go together. Right. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I would say, like I said, around mile 11 to 12, um, I know by the half marathon, I has, I was already in my head thinking, you know, I wanted to, I knew where my family and my boyfriend were. Um, and I wanted to get to them, uh, cause I didn't want them on the course worrying about me. So I, I kind of already was working it through my head that I was going to drop out. Um, and that's a very hard thing to say, or even I've never done it. This is my first DNF. So I was not expecting this and I'm still emotional about it, but I feel like at the time it was the right decision for me. Um, but it's still very hard. Uh, so, um, I got to mile 14 where my boyfriend was and I told him I was dropping out, but he didn't, you know, I don't know if he heard or I think he, he did hear, he told me, but he didn't know where or when. And so, um, then I got, then I did, so my parent, my mother, and I just fell apart and fell to the ground. So, um, uh, and like I said, it was between that, I don't know, it was the stretch on, it's called Edgewater. It came a wind tunnel, you're going up a hill, and I was just done. So I couldn't, I, I physically and mentally in my head, I didn't think I had, could do another loop of it, you know? And when you say that, 
is that in reference to like you know doing another loop at something similar or somewhat close to your your typical marathon pace or was it like hey like i wouldn't be able to complete this at an easy pace i would have been able to compete it and complete it at an easy pace my thought was when it was going rough but how my training had been going i thought well why i could salvage a spring marathon oh okay this isn't my day training was just starting to click so you know, is this what I, you know, like, again, I didn't, going into the Olympic trials, I thought that I was going to crawl to the finish line no matter what. But then in that moment, I thought to myself, you know, not that I'm at the level of like a Des or whatever, but, you know, I could do another marathon and become more satisfied than running a three hour Olympic trial marathon. And again, everybody's different in their perception. Looking back, I don't know for sure if it was the right call. It was just the call I made at that time. Now you mentioned in New York, uh, this past, you know, 2019 that you kind of went into it like, all right, like you at that point you're playing with house money. You'd just been to the world championships five weeks earlier. You'd run really well, you know, and you didn't have a lot of expectations on you, nor even when we spoke that you did, you, you hadn't put many on yourself either. So, you know, you mentioned how, you know, you went out maybe more aggressive and then you kind of came back right from like 16 to 18 was this bad spell. And then you were able to, you know, kind of get back into that. Would you, I'm sure that you must have like thought back to that period and you're trying to envision, you know, what the future holds for you in the short term, the next hour, hour and a half or so. What, when you, when you, when you cross that red line between I'm staying in and I'm not staying in, was there like a, like a, a moment for that decision or was it just like a slow evolution? It was a slow evolution. I think over the few miles, like, I went back and forth. And even when I stopped and collapsed, part of me wanted to get back up and go. You know what I mean? Like, but then I was like, I don't, and then this is another, I was like, can I get back up and go? I don't know. <laughs> you know? And, uh, like I said, I, it was a slow evolution over a few miles. It was back and forth. Can I, re- like you said, yes, the same thing. Can I recover? Maybe this is just a bad spell. Cause when it started to get rough, I did the same thing at mile 12, mile 12, 13, you know, oh, just going up a hill, it's not going to, you know, I'll recover on the downhill and I'll start to pick it up. I'll gain, you know, and I was still in a little group between like Kate Lounduit, I never say her name right. I don't know, Kate, Jordan Hesse, and there was a few other people. So it was kind of back and forth a little while. It, so it wasn't completely out there alone. Um, but like I said, you know, like I said, I, I, looking back, that was just the decision I made at the time. Um, and I, only I had to live with that decision. So if you could pinpoint, the you know maybe not even pinpoint a reason but let's say you're in like a you know a reasons pie it's like which slice is bigger than another slice you know how much would you put towards like either like fitness or you know maybe just like not just just not having it just having one of those one of those crazy days it just happened to be on race day or you know the the course and the elements what do you think maybe contributed the most uh to you know you're not you're not having like quite the day that you had anticipated I don't know if I've pinpointed that yet. I mean, I, 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 like I said, my fitness, you know, me and Steve talked, we felt like, you know, looking at paces, he felt like I was on pace, you know, on a normal course, like a 540-ish pace. And so that's where I felt like I was. But again, it just started to click in the last few weeks. So was I not there yet completely? Was it just, you know, at the brink of like where I need to be? Um, and, you know, maybe it's just being on this big stage and I put a lot on myself and then I when I wasn't hitting it, I, I walked away. I don't, you know, again, like I said, in that moment, all I thought was, 
I, I know I'm at a good level of fitness right now. I could get better, go do something else, you know? And if you're at 540 pace, then, you know, that's roughly 228 or so uh, marathon, which is basically the pace y'all were running on that course while you were in it, which is, you know, if you consider like if that's the kind of pace you were or level you were at, you know, on a on a relatively flat course, if you throw in that course, then I guess that would make sense in terms of maybe it was just a little was a little too much in the beginning. Yeah, more than likely. I mean, like I said, I just started looking at the splits, but they were just splits from Strava because I didn't hit my watch at all because I wasn't trying to focus on a pace, you know, like a, a mile plate pace when I was running. So, yeah, absolutely. And like you said, because the elevation change, even that can be a little a little funky. Maybe maybe the Strava gap pace helps, like the little grade educated pace <laughs> oh, or whatever. Yeah, grade, grade yeah. adjusted pace. I have to look at that. I didn't look at that one yet. So <laughs> I always wonder if that if that actually works. <laughs> but I guess that would be a good test considering all the hills. So obviously, once once you left the course and left the race, you know that that was obviously an emotional moment for you. And you know, all things considered, and combined with the fact that you had never DNF'd before. What what was that, you know, the next hour and a half like for you, not only emotionally, but like, what do you do at that point? I mean, obviously, it was very emotional. Um, my whole family was pretty much right there. So and a lot of crying. Um, and then it was, uh, uh, I went back, you know, got my stuff. I went to the tent, um, saw my, my agent, Larry, on the way back. And I, yeah, but the thing was, I had it's the moment. So the men were finishing. I got to see the men finish. Um, you know, I'm trying to, you know, it's very sad. I was extremely distraught and, you know, my, you know, my decision-making, like everything was kind of a blur, but, you know, I wanted to still kind of, it's like a celebration of everybody, you know? So I was trying my best, you know, to enjoy the moment. So I wanted to see the women finish. So uh, my boyfriend and I went up into the Omni where, like I said, they have this like bridge where you could see the finish, um, the woman coming down to the finish line. And it was the first time I, I didn't know what was going on in the race. So we pulled up the leaderboard and, you know, obviously ecstatic to see Alephine and um, how the race was playing out. I think it was like mile 22 or so when I, we looked on the leaderboard. So um, from inside the Omni, we watched the finish, uh, watched the first, you know, 10 to 15 women come through. Um, and then I got, got a shower and then I went out with my family, you know, just tried to have a friends and family had all come in. So um, it was just about spending time with them, you know, about being together. Um, and that was my evening. Now, once you were able to really grasp what had happened in the race, not just you know, in terms of the leaders and you saw who finished and got top three and so on and so forth, but just like there were you know, other very high caliber women just like yourself who didn't have the race that they wanted or didn't finish the race. When that became a realization for you, were you able to take comfort in that at all? I mean, like I said, yes. I mean, somewhat, but I, I everybody does it for their own reasons or whatever happens, happens. I mean, like I said, you know, I, I had a feeling like when I saw Molly Huddle and Emily Sison, you know, dropped, I figured, you know, it's because they can go, you know, work on their track season and qualify for the, you know, on the track. I don't have that, you know, I'm not, I'm not a track person, but like I said, for me, it was more just the, um, you know, it wasn't validation, but like I said, it was my decision at that time. I'm sure they're all going through their own, you know, decision process themselves, but it sounded like they had like their coaches, you know, discussing this beforehand. Me and Steve didn't ever say drop out if I wasn't top three. Um, but it, you know, like I said, it, you know, 
you don't ever want to see anybody have a bad day or drop out. I wish that we all ran the best race of our life, you know, but it is what it is. And, you know, this is the first time I had a bad day and what can you do? Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. And actually, I, I talked to Kellen yesterday. She brought up something very similar in terms of like that, the conflicting emotions around comparing you know her results to other people that she cares very much about. And having that feeling of like, I'm sad for myself, but also happy for this other person at the same time, even though we're both competing for the same thing. Yeah, no, I mean, I felt extreme happiness to watch those women come down, you know, and, uh, and to be in the top three or whatever, whoever had the race, you know, I know a lot of people that had a really great, you know, had a good race or they finished, they didn't finish in 2016 and, um, very excited for all them. And, you know, I think about the what ifs, I mean, in four years, will I be there? I, you know, I, if I'm the genetic freak that I I wish I am, maybe I'll still be competing at a high level at 46, but you know, either way, you know, um, I don't know, like for me, the thought process recently in the last couple of days was this past four years, my, my goal was to qualify with the standard B four years ago. Here I am four years later where I'm at and where I never imagined that. So just to be grateful for where I am today and take it day by day, you know? So I love it. I think that you guys should have like a, t- like a team up race. Like you and Kate Landau <laughs> can race yeah. Bernard Lagat and Abby Abdurrahman four years from now. And again, no handicap, no like men's division, women's division, just who's you know taking your, <laughs> your time plus Kate's time versus Abdi's time versus Bernard Lagat's time and see which one can be faster. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> this is what we need. This is like, this should be like, a, you know, if, if say, say, say none of you guys run the trials next time, which who knows, maybe all four of you could be running the trials next time. It could be like a great, like, like warm up race, you know, like in boxing, they have like the, the fight before the fight. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I already thought about it. I was like, okay, qualifying window will probably open up fall of 2021 ish. I'll still be able to hit a 237. There's my like, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Like you can be nibs. you can be on round two of a of road to the Olympic trials. Yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, like it's yeah, like you know, I mean, I like I said, I'm so grateful, and you know, I'm sad, but you know, I I know that there's still more more to my story, and you know, that's what I'm looking forward to next. Like, yes, this was a build up for four years. I did not expect this, what happened to happen, but that's life. We just don't know. And I haven't had too many lows in marathoning. And so this happens to be the one I have to learn from it and move forward. Yeah. And it's also not as if the last four years were only pointed towards that race, as evidenced by what you did in the fall. No, it wasn't. But four years ago, though, that was the goal. Like, because I was, you know, it was the 245, 30 marathoner. It was just hit the standard B and be there at 42. Like, be at the start to the Olympic trials at 42. How awesome would that be? And like I said, that's what we just don't know what's going to happen in life. Four years later, I was up. So I was ranked 17th, you know, and, you know, I had gone to the worlds. And so, like, I didn't picture any of that. But through, you know, races and risks I took along the way, things happened. So, that's a great example, uh, you know, in terms of like you had these goals, which even then were like, those are huge goals that you had and you completely obliterated them to the fact where you went to this race, you know, thinking like, hey, there's a chance that I could be top three in this race where before you're like, I just want to have the B standard for that race. So when you think about people who just maybe ran their first Olympic trials and are wondering like, all right, is this the peak or what what does the future hold for me? 
what would be advice that you would give them? I would say just keep working hard. And if you have a goal, go for it and take risks. I mean, like I said, I, I think for me, like, you know, uh, it was believing and seeing like, I did have a progression. It was pretty big progression, but it was over time still. Like I went from a 245 to a 237. And then you know, follow your heart. And like I said, like this year opened up a little bit more for me with when the world's opportunity came up and, you know, things opened up for me and I learned a lot this year. I was, I, ra- I raced two marathons in five weeks. And so I guess maybe four marathons in a 12 month cycle doesn't really work out for me, maybe per se, but you know, I'm learning from all this and that's, what's great about having the standards. And I know there's this whole talk of 245 being too easy for the women, but either way, you know, it brings this sense of accomplishment and wow, we could do this. And what's the next goal. So I say bring it on either way for women. You know what I mean? If they make it 243, 240, I think it's exciting times, you know, for for women. Yeah. And the Boston Marathon has shown so many times that if you just do like minimal adjustments to these qualifying times, they're not going to have a huge effect. You know, if they went from like 245 to 236, it might be like, oh boy, like that's a monumental shift. And I'm not going to go for that. Yeah, like I think, you know, even a few, min- a few minutes, you know, but I still think these women that hit just the 245, would, well, don't you want to get, you know, I know for me every time it's like, well, I want to get a little bit faster. We all get to the point where, we're, yeah, I wish I could take six minutes off again, but that's not <laughs> realistically going to happen. But, you know, still looking for a PR and a great race, you know. Um, so, no, I guess that I think like looking back on it, you know, four years ago, I just wanted to be there. And how amazing that four years later, when I did, was there, I was trying to be top three. So, you know, you just don't know what can happen in life and just keep working hard. Man, I can't even ask you another question because that was so perfectly stated. Uh, thank you for sharing it just like that. With that said, I did put out a call to action, see if people had any questions considering this is your last episode here on the podcast. So let me bring them up right now. All right, here we go. Thank you to everybody who submitted them. We actually got a few on here that are pretty good. Okay, we we already answered the race strategy question. Oh, here's a good one from Susie, who always submits some great questions. This one's right up her alley. Did you end up eating your fries with wine after the race? Oh, you know what? I did have wine. I didn't have French fries. I had a bunless burger. I don't know what's up with the land. Well, the exact opposite of French fries. The bunless burger. I decided to drink more than eat. (laughs) So I think my friends were feeding me a little bit. And I said, I want a burger. And the burger comes out like bunless. And I was like, what is this? That's all they had on the menu. Um, So I don't recall any French fries. I remember hummus and wine and a bunless burger, which was very disappointing. So no French fries until the next day. So. Well, it it's so funny that no matter how fast someone runs, I feel like 99% of mar- the marathoning public want a burger once they finish. I know. I actually was looking forward to a burger, too. Like I said, I really did want the bun this time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, another question here. This ties right into this. Where did you party afterwards? Well, like I said, I had a large family with lots of kids to hang out with for a while. So we partied at the CNN food court for a little while (laughs) this is reality here folks which is good so we all like the kids were hungry and it was a little crazy everywhere so we went to the food court but what was great was there was some food court that served beer like 30 ounce of beer so we started with that 30s 30s are the new 40s i was in line with chick-fil-a with my son when my girlfriend comes over with this big blue moon i was like where did you get this knew exactly what I needed. Um, and then I was, later on in the night, I went over to the Tracksmith um, 
uh, Chexmith had a uh, evening get together at the Georgia Beer Garden. So I was over there for a while. And then I wandered a little bit. Um, and then I actually, you know, I think emotions got a little, you know, a little high. And I was in bed before 11. So I wasn't much of a partier that night. So that's still a pretty long day. <laughs> it was a long day. <laughs> that's for sure. Okay. Um, this one's from Aaron. Did participating in the worlds at Doha make you stronger for the OTQs or was it too much? Oh, um, I thought going into it that, I, you know, I was going to be stronger in the sense of I survived a brutal heat course. Um, I was at the worlds, but looking back, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, being with the best in our country is pretty intimidating. Step into the line, you know, with all those women. Um, I still think the experience at Worlds gave me the confidence to step to the line with those women, though, and do what I did, you know. And maybe it made you stronger for a different race. Maybe you'll be ready to tackle, like, the Badwater Ultramarathon because you, like, have experienced that kind of heat. <laughs> Bring on the heat is what I need. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. All right. Um, I think that's about it. Oh, last one. Do you take any daily vitamins or supplements or things like that? No, not really. I'm pretty boring. Um, only thing I do coming up to leading up to the race is Zycam because I'm like, a, I'm worried about getting a cold. So I, I load up on zinc. Um, other than that, I just stick to natural, you know, foods, getting all my vitamins in, you know, through, uh, my, the, what I eat. So. All right. Last question before we get going. Also, thanks again for doing this. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and talking, you know, every you know, four to six weeks or so over the last nine months. It's absolutely been a pleasure. So what does the future hold for you, both short-term and long-term? So I I am going to do, you know, if if all goes well in the next week or so, and I'm still feeling what I'm feeling now, the drive um, and the legs are feeling good, I'm going to do a spring marathon. Um, can't quite say which one, um, but I probably will, will do a spring marathon. And then take some downtime for a couple months, two months or so, and then head back in for a fall marathon where I will attempt to break the American record for my age group. So this spring marathon, I don't, you know, we'll probably not, it will be more on working back, getting back to my race strategy and how I like to go like negative split, getting back into that rhythm, just kind of bringing the confidence back a little bit. And then the fall will be more focused on uh, attempting to break the record. All right. So, and what's the record again? 22747. All right. So I'm assuming who knows? Who knows what you'll race in the fall? But I think <laughs> I think has Chicago written all over it. All right. Roberta, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks a lot, Matt. Roberta, thank you so much for coming on the show and for being part of this series. It's truly been a pleasure. As you know, first of all, if you haven't been listening to the episodes with Berta, please do. She's one of America's best runners, but you would never know that by listening to her, interacting with her. She's just so humble and down to earth. And it's just, uh, it really is. She's just one of a kind. You know, I think you could say that about everyone who's been on this show. If you listened to the last episode with Sarah Bishop, you'd hear a very different kind of episode with a race that didn't quite as go as planned. And I think that this is emblematic of all of the people who are in this race, not just the people who have been on this podcast, is that all of them are such individuals in how they approach this every step of the way, not just the trials themselves. 
is, you know, going to tie into their own character and has, you know, basically repercussions that leads forwards and backwards in relation to the things that they have experienced and what they hope to experience in the future. So we have a couple more recaps to go. We got Lou Serafini coming out later this week. And then next week, we'll have episodes with Jared Ward and a, uh, a new guest as well, uh, Julia Conan, who finished 10th in this episode. This episode. There we go. In this race. Oh, my gosh. A little, little behind the scenes. I'm going to keep that in there um, in terms of my misspeak. It happens from time to time. And there you go. See, Julia did finish 10th in the Olympic trials, and I'm so excited to chat with her later this week. And that episode will come out next week. Also, if you're listening to this, subscribe over on the Rambling Runner uh, podcast. I got an episode coming out tomorrow with the one and only Hal Higdon. That's right. Hal Higdon, the man behind all of those uh, marathon training plans that every first time marathoner seems to use. He is such a wonderful man. We had a great conversation and i can't wait for you to hear it so thank you so much for rating reviewing and for listening to the show it truly warms my heart have a wonderful day and happy running this has been a production of the rambling runner podcast network thank you to my producer david margetti from in post media also thank you to metapy for the music and his song evolution Pressing is deep, I'm a real person.